over my Jesus, the life that he gave. And so many times will I praise you today. Lived up my life Cause you're always the same And your love Thank you. 
Well, Ernie just announced that he was going to Children's Church. He said he thought that might be a better option. <laughs> yeah, Ernie and I have been friends for years until today. <laughs> it, it, it's interesting. All the time that I lived down here, I never knew Ernie or Gwen at all. I had to go all the way up to Fort Worth to meet them, and this was, again, years and years and years ago. And then as, as it turned out, uh, Gwen's brother and I had crossed paths long before we had ever met. And so it's that small world syndrome that always keeps showing up in our world. I, I've got to tell you this morning that I've been a lot of places since I left here. In fact, I've been gone from here so long. When I left here, there was no such thing as Google. It just didn't exist. I, there weren't even any such things as cell phones back then. Uh, no internet. In fact, when I left here, when I left here, I, I, I grew up in Rockland, Texas. We still didn't even have to use the prefix to dial our phone numbers. We just used the last four numbers. That's how long it's been since I've been gone from here. And it, it's good to be home. It really is. I, I, I have been a lot of places over the years of time. And uh, no matter where I go or where I've been, Every time that I've ever referred to home, I've always been talking about this place. Tyler County is home to me, and, and I always feel like when I'm here, I'm among friends, and so I'm really, really excited to be able to share this time with all of you this week, and uh, it, it's going to be a, a blessing in my life. I know it already is to, to be here with you. I've, I've had a lot of opportunities in my life that I never saw coming. It's, it's been a great blessing from God to be allowed to do what I've been allowed to do. I've, I've been allowed to preach at Southwestern Seminary to thousands of ministerial students and mission students who are preparing to go to foreign fields to take God's word to the ends of the earth. And uh, in front of all the professors and the president of the seminary there, I've spoken at, uh, in Nashville to 250 of the leaders of all of our convention, the entity heads all those different kinds of guys that whenever you're speaking, you know that they're looking at every word you say and analyzing everything that comes out. And, and I want to tell you that none of those things, uh, to me, none of those do I deem as more important or more of a privilege than to be right here this morning with you. I'm grateful to be here. And I mean that with all my heart. And so it's going to be a wonderful time of just being able to dig around in God's word together with you. Now, I know that you probably don't have a clue what to expect here this morning. So let me just tell you a little bit about how I view my ministry. My ministry has never been to beat you up. My ministry has always been to try to build you up. That's what I'm about. I'm not going to come in here and tell us all how bad we are. We, we know that we have a street within us that tends to make its way to the surface more often than we'd like. But I'm here this week to try to encourage us in the Lord. That's my goal. And not to, not to beat us up, but to build us up. I, I believe that my purpose under God, and every, every minister has a different sense of his calling, but I believe that my aim and my ministry is really pretty simple. It's to encourage people to live lives with a sense of higher purpose. See, the truth is that we tend to get a little bit earthbound sometimes. We tend to allow the things of this earth to, to pull us down, to pull our attention, to, to gain our attention, and to keep us focused on things that are here whenever, as you've been learning from First, uh, First Peter, that we're really not citizens of this particular world. We're citizens of an other world. And that other world is where our priorities and our focus needs to lie. But we tend to become earthbound. 
And so what God has, has placed in my heart through the years is to try to encourage people to live with this sense of higher purpose. Not just the fact that we're here, but there's a reason that we're here. There's a reason for the season that we walk this planet Earth. And discovery of that reason and living out that reason is the most important thing that can happen while we're here. And so I believe that God has, has called me to try to understand that for myself and to try to help that happen for other people. And so that's my goal this week. That's my goal. I pray that whenever we come away from this week that every one of us will have a, a great sense of who we are in Christ and how that applies to us in the daily living of what it means to be a Christian in a world where so many people are not. And so I pray that we'll be able to understand that and to grow into that. So the truth is that sometimes we develop attitudes, we, we, we develop mindsets that tend to be so eye level that we forget to look beyond and see what's going on. And here's the good news about this. It doesn't have to stay that way. And if that's where you find yourself this morning, you're not the first one who's ever been there. Scripture is full of examples for us of people who found themselves in very difficult situations in their lives. They found themselves struggling, struggling spiritually, struggling emotionally. They found themselves struggling with sin. They found themselves struggling to identify the fullness of a relationship with God and to find themselves in the center of that. Scripture talks about that over and over and over. This morning I want us to look at a passage of Scripture in the book of Psalms. So if you'll find the book of Psalms in your Bibles, Psalm 63 is where we're going to be reading from. <clears throat> and I'm going to read these verses and talk about them a few moments, and then I'm going to tell you why they're in here. This is a passage of Scripture that speaks to my heart. And one of the things that's happened to me over the years of time is that I've come to a place where uh, the, the, the ministry that God has given me and the messages that tend to, to come from me are not just academic. They actually have become something that, that, that is experiential for me. The, the things that I talk about are things that I've lived. Because I've found myself oftentimes on the mountaintops of spiritual joyfulness. And I've found myself sometimes in the deepest valleys of spiritual distance from God. I've lived the things that I'll be talking to you about this week. The, the Word of God is like that. It, it's, it's a living Word. And it speaks to us in life. It speaks to us about life. And so as we read these verses, I, I just want you to hear, uh, as David penned them, something of his heartbeat. And then I'm going to again talk to you about why these verses are here. Beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> oh God... You are my God. Early will I seek you. My flesh longs for you. And a, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I'll rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. 
They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I want to ask you this morning to open these words before us. Lord, not just as words on a page, but as words of life, words of truth, words of transformation, words of strength and power, words of encouragement and hope. We trust you, Lord, to speak to us because we are in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if I'm the only one in this room that sometimes finds my appetites changing along the way. There's some things that we develop appetites for that might be unhealthy for us along the way of life. Sometimes we begin to allow things and bring things into our lives and we get this longing or this craving or this continual desire for those things and we know that they may not be the best thing for us. I'll give you an example. If you were to put one carton of Bluebell ice cream here and one here, I could stand right here and eat it. I could. I promise you. I love Bluebell ice cream. I have this, this innate craving for Bluebell ice cream. And, and if you wanted to make that better, you could put a big bowl of spaghetti right in the middle of this pulpit, and I would be a happy camper. I'd be one of the happiest guys in the room because I have an appetite for those things. And, and so all of us have appetites. We have things that, that we begin to crave and that we begin to want and that we want to include in our lives. And, and sometimes we begin to include things that may not be the best thing for us. I, I read about a guy, and, and again, this goes back to Google. I'm so thankful for Google because it gives me all this wonderful information. This guy's name is Michael Lotito. He's a, a Frenchman, and he's better known as Monsieur Mangetou. Now, let me tell you that what that means. This is appropriately translated into these words, Mr. Eats All. That's, that's what that translates into. This Frenchman... Now listen to this. You're not going to believe this. I didn't believe it when I read it, but I, I kept looking and it, it seems to be the truth. This Frenchman has eaten everything from bicycles, including the spokes, to an entire Cessna 150 airplane. Between 1959 and 1979, 1997, he ate an estimated nine tons of metal. Nine tons of metal. Now you can look this up if you want to. He, he suffered from something that's called PICA, P-I-C-A, which is a medical condition that causes cravings to eat such things as dirt, glass, and apparently for him anything metal. The disorder could lead to a lot of different problems, but the physicians say that he has this unusually thick lining in his stomach and in his intestines, and it made possible for him to eat sharp metal objects and for them to pass through without doing any structural damage. Now, by the way, I don't recommend this at all. But what would happen is he would break these objects into very small pieces and he would consume them with lots of water and then he would drink a lot of mineral oil to help guide these bits, of, bits and pieces of metal through his intestines. He would limit his intake to about one kilogram per day. So each of the 18 bicycles he consumed re required multiple sittings. It took him two years to eat the airplane. And, and he also ate 15 shopping carts, seven television sets, six chandeliers, two beds, a coffin, and a small section of the Eiffel Tower. Now, you think about that. But now, here's the kicker. Oddly enough, he had trouble digesting and eating bananas and hard-boiled eggs. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Well, you talk about somebody that had some weird appetites. You know, we get some weird appetites, and sometimes what happens to us is we get cravings for things that if we're not careful, they, they will displace or replace 
the things that we ought to have an appetite for. And that happens to us spiritually. Sometimes we allow our attention to be drawn away to things in this life, to things on this level, whenever we ought to have our appetites and our focus on that level. We ought to be looking higher. We ought to be living with a sense of higher purpose than just what this world tends to afford. Now, you may find yourself this morning in a place in your life where you realize that you're really weighted down with worldly things. You're weighted down with worldly appetites. You're weighted down with worldly cares and concerns. The substance and sum of your life could be much more totally engrossed by the things that are here than your desires and your focus and your attention and your affection for the things that are there. And I want to tell you that if that's true, then, then there's a problem. And, and I want to tell you that if that's true, there's also a remedy. Because God doesn't want you to live so weighted down by the things that are so temporary, the things that are so fleeting, the things that are so passing. He wants you to be drawn to things that are going to sustain you forever and forever in His eternity. And so He wants us to, to begin to look toward the place that we're going to live, to look toward the reality that we're going to experience for all of eternity. Now, in this passage of Scripture that I read to you, I want to talk to you from this passage about developing an appetite for God. And I want to begin by asking you a question. How how strong is your longing for Him? How strong today is your desire for God? Not for church. I love church. Believe me, I do. Not, Not for singing hymns or songs or music of worship. I love that. Not for even opening the Bible and reading it, even though that is something that I do as much as I possibly can. But I want to ask you this morning, how strong is your longing for God? How how strong is is your attraction for God? How strong is your appetite for Him? Not, Not for the things that represent Him, but for Him. Maybe today you find yourself, as so many have and often do, myself included, sometimes just kind of going through the motions. It's become sort of mechanical to you. This this church thing is something you do. I I, I preached a message one time, and I brought to, I don't usually use uh, visual aids, because I think that, that, uh, first of all, I'm not creative enough to come up with those things. But on this particular day, I brought this stack of caps that I keep in my closet. And, and what I did is I began to talk about these caps. I, I had one cap that has a, a Texas Rangers baseball team emblem on it. I said, well, if I'm going to a Texas Rangers baseball game, which, by the way, right now is kind of a waste of time, if, if I do that, I'll wear this cap. And then, then I had another one that had a big S on it, and it's for Sherman. If I go to a high school football game, I'll wear that cap. And, and so I went through all these caps, and I came to this one that was nasty and dirty and and I said, this cap I've been trying to give away for a long time to anybody that will take it because this is the one I put on when I do my yard work. And, and, and at the end of all that, the point that I was making was there's one cap in here that I do not have. The cap that I do not have is a Christian cap. I don't have a cap that I put on whenever I'm going to be a Christian because that's not something that I can put on and take off in my life. That is a part of who I am. It is the sum and substance. It's the core of my being Every bit of my life, it has to be, or it's nothing at all. And so I, I, I was trying to make a point that, that you can't just put this on and take it off. And sometimes we find ourselves just kind of going through the motions, and whenever Sunday comes along, we'll put on our Christian cap, and we'll come to church, and then we'll go back out into the same 
beat down life that we've been living all along. You might be here this morning and for you, God was someone who was once very important to you. He was a vital part of your life. He was so alive in you and you were so alive in Him that you couldn't wait to worship Him. You couldn't wait to spend time with Him. You couldn't wait to have Him involved and interactive in your life. But currently, you just don't give Him much thought day to day. It could be that you've never really even made room for Him in your life at all. You might be in this room today and for you the the sum and substance of your experience with God is that you've come to church. You've participated in church, but you've never really come to Christ. And there's an emptiness and a vacancy and a void in your life that no matter what you've tried, no matter what you've tasted, it continues, it persists, and you can't seem to satisfy it. You won't until you come to God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Psalm 63... What we find here is this man whose name is David. Now, Scripture identifies David as a man who was after God's own heart. Now, you think about that just for a moment. David was a man after God's own heart. He loved God. You read the things that he wrote. He had this deep love and appreciation for who God was to him and who he was to God. He understood that God loved him personally. He understood that God cared for him completely. And he had given his life in devotion to him. But in Psalm 63, you you read about David, this man who's after God's own heart, who seems to be indicating that he's found himself in a spiritual drought. He's in a spiritual downturn. He's in an empty place in his life. So I want to say to us this morning that if David, the man after God's own heart, can have an experience like this. I want you to know that you can have an experience like this and I can have an experience like this. Any one of us can find ourselves through circumstances or through neglect or through any kinds of things just drifting away until until we finally find ourselves in a place that we never thought we'd be, distant from God. Spiritual drought, spiritual emptiness. And, and, And as David recognizes the futility of his life at this point. He pens these words. And look at how it begins. He begins this way. Oh God. Now I want you to know, whenever David says those words, this is not not just a cute title for some Hollywood movie production. This is is not some, some phrase that he utters because he's been startled or scared. It's not, it's not David when an accident's happened and he's just saying, oh God. Now for David, what's happening here is, is he's coming to the place where he is at the end of himself. And so in this phrase, oh God, there's nothing about David there. He's calling out. He's crying out from the innate most part of himself. Oh God. He's trying to connect. He's trying to communicate. He's trying to involve himself with God. And so he speaks and he cries out with this groaning sensation. Oh, God. He recognizes his need for God. And and so so he begins to speak to him. And when he does, look at what he says. You are my God. Now, if you were able to look at this phrase in the original language, you would see that there were a couple of things about it that are important to know. When he says, you are my God, what he's saying is this. You exclusively, you and you alone. 
You and none other. Only you. Right now, he's saying, God, I'm turning all of my attention, all of my focus to you. I'm depending on no one or nothing but you. What David was saying is this. My only agenda right now is not to have an agenda. I'm setting aside everything that I have thought, everything that I've planned, everything that I've pursued in my life, and I'm coming back to the place where I'm just turning to you. And I'm saying, God, you and you alone, you deserve my allegiance as my God. You deserve my loyalty. You deserve my love, my devotion, my service. Only you, God. See, David had been giving himself to a lot of different things. David was one of those guys that seemed to have lived a charmed life. You ever known anybody like that? Don't you just hate them? <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. I mean, somebody that everything always goes right. I mean, here he was when he was a boy, killing bears and lions with a slingshot. Who does that? Nobody does that, but David did that. Then he killed the giant with a slingshot. He just seemed to not be able to lose. Before long, he was playing music before the king. So not only was he athletic, not only was he a great shot with a slingshot, not only was he a warrior and a soldier, but he was a musician. Who puts all that together? And then he has all this stuff going for him, and then he ends up being a commander in the king's army, and then ultimately ends up being the king. He can't seem to lose. And in the middle of all of that, some things began to happen in his life. He got busy with the busyness of life. And he got his eyes off of the one who had placed him in all of these opportunities and given him all of these successes. And he began to look at all the things that, that he was responsible for and all the things that he was accomplishing. And as he looked at that, he looked away from God. Have you ever found yourself just overcome with all of the activity, all the busyness, all the fullness of life? And somehow, God gets shoved to a slot way in the back of your living. That's where David finds himself. And so here at this moment, he comes back and he says, Oh God, you are my God exclusively, only you. And then he says, You're my God. This is a, a personal, possessive pronoun. He says, I'm accepting the fact that, that you personally are my God. I'm, I'm owning the fact that you're my God. I need you as my God. So what he's saying is that you're not just this concept. You're not just this theoretical deity who's out there somewhere. What I'm saying is that I need a personal, interactive relationship with you as my God. And so I'm coming home to you. Now, as he begins to, to make these statements, he says, you are my God. Early will I seek you. Now that word early means first. It means before anything else. When I start thinking about early, I think about the first thing I have to do in the day. And so when he says, I'm going to seek you early, he's saying, Lord, I'm not going to come to you at the end of the day. I'm not going to come to you at the end of the problem. I'm not going to come to you at the end of the, the, the need for a solution. I'm going to start with you. Where, where I've been messing up is I've been trying to do everything myself. I've been trying to fix everything in my life. I've been trying to move my life along this continuum of my sense of purpose that I've generated and created. And then at the end, if something's broken, I'll come to you and say, God, fix it. You ever found yourself there? Well, what he says here is that I'm past that now. I realize that, that God is not a place to come at the end of the day. God is a place to come at the beginning of everything. He's the place to start. He's the one where I need to begin. So he says, early will I seek you. There's this sense of urgency there. Now he begins to talk about the intensity of his longing for God. Look at what he says. 
My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. Now, understand that this, this could be considered metaphorical. It could be a metaphor for where he is in his spirit, and indeed it is. But it's more than that. It's actually literal. The, the idea of him being in a dry and thirsty land is literal. Because let me tell you what had happened here. The context for this psalm presumably was written during a time whenever the, there was a civil uprising in the city of Jerusalem. The civil uprising was actually led by King David's own son, Absalom. Absalom had gotten full of himself. And, and, and as he had gotten full of himself, he began to believe that he ought to be king, that David was too old and, and too dated to do that sort of thing anymore. So he needed to be ousted, he needed to be gone, he needed to get out of the kingdom, and Absalom needed to have it to run it. And so Absalom began to work the crowds. And he began to, to politic for favor among the people. And sure enough, he got enough people behind him that he was able to mount a civil war, a civil uprising against his very own father. And so he did that, and he was successful enough that, they, that the threat was so overbearing to David that he actually had to leave his, his, uh, his capital, he had to leave Jerusalem, and he had to flee from David. Now where that took him was to a place out in the Judean desert where everything was barren and everything was dry, where everything was empty. And before he crossed the Jordan River, he, he had to camp in this dreary wasteland that extended along the shore, the western shore of the Dead Sea. And so David here, as he looks around him and he sees the barrenness, he finds an analogy for the condition of his own life. And he begins to write, which David was so so good at doing. And, and he says about his life, my life is empty. My life is barren. My soul is thirsty. My flesh is unsatisfied. I need God in my life again. Now, most of us don't know what it means to be thirsty. Well, maybe we do. Let me, let me just kind of give you a little example. I, you know, growing up here, I, there, were, there were a lot of different ways to amuse ourselves. And uh, one of those was not hauling hay. Anybody here ever hauled it? You know, back before everything was round bales and you did it with a, a tractor and a, a spear and all that stuff, we, we did it by hand, okay? Now, if you've ever spent about 10 or 12 hours in a hay field and, and it was 90 to 100 degrees out there, and then whenever you load all that big trailer down and you back it up into a, a chicken house or a barn, and you're in that barn and it's 150 degrees, you learn what it means to be thirsty. I can promise you. In fact, I always said this. I said, if I ever get to the place where financially I can afford to drop anything out of my life, the first thing I'm going to leave off is hauling hay. Because I hated it. I hated it. And, and you know what? God heard that. And he said, okay. He said, since you don't like it so much, I'm going to let you do it a little bit longer. And I actually used hauling hay to pay for my seminary education. Can you imagine that? What a thing. And, and, and we're up, in the, up in the, I don't know if they do it here now or not, but up there they actually uh, baled a lot of alfalfa hay. That stuff went up to about 130 or 140 pounds of bale. That stuff was tough. So I knew what it means. I know what it means to be thirsty. But I want to tell you what David is saying here. He's, he's, he's speaking about a thirst that transcends even the kind of thirst that you might feel out in the hot field 
on a hot day or in a hot barn on a hot day. He's talking about a thirst that runs to the depths of his being. He says, my soul thirsts. See, the soul is the innermost part of who we are. It's that deep inside person. And I know that all of us are probably very capable of putting on enough show on the outside that if there's an emptiness on the inside, we can disguise it. We can cover it up. We can convince people that we're okay, we're good. You know how it is whenever you come to church or you're out in the town and you see somebody and they say, how are you doing? And You say, how are you doing? And everybody says, I'm great, I'm great. And, and we all know it, we're all just lying, right? Because we're not always great. But, but here's the deal, when you ask somebody and then they start to tell you, you think, I didn't really didn't want to know that. Why are you telling me all this? I'm just saying hi to you. But we know that on the inside that sometimes we get shriveled up. Sometimes our souls get dry. Sometimes we get thirsty for something that we need that we don't have. And we try to satisfy that with all kinds of different things. Maybe not eating metal, but we'll try this and that and the other. We'll try entertainment. We'll try uh, all kinds of activities. We'll try everything we can think of. And nothing will satisfy. He says, my soul thirsts. Then he says, my flesh longs. The flesh, the soul, if the soul is the inner man, the flesh is, is the, the part of us that sometimes we're able to find satisfaction for, uh, to, to, to make the flesh feel good. That's the part of us that resists God the most. It's the representative part of us that, that stands against God. It says, the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And so what he's saying is that, that I'm even coming to the place where I can find no physical satisfaction in anything that I do. So inwardly I'm dry, outwardly I'm searching and longing. Everything about my life, everything about my being needs you, God. So he says, I'm turning to you. Now, this is pretty important. Look at what he says next in verse 2. He says, so I've looked for you in the sanctuary. Basically, he, he, he's remembering the gatherings that he's had with the people of God in the place of God, the temple of God. He says, I've looked for you there. I've come to church to try to find you. Can I ask you a question today? And this is just between you and God. You don't have to answer me for sure. But in all honesty, why are you here today? Why are we here? Why are we in this place today? Have we come here because we know that there's a box on our spiritual uh, regimen that we need to check? Or are we really here to seek God? I hope that we've come to seek God. And whenever David says, I'm, I've sought you in the sanctuary, he says, what I desire is this, to see your power and your glory. In other words, he's saying, Lord, what I need from you and what I desire from you is, is not just a, a chance encounter, not just bumping up against you a little bit. I don't need to hear from you in just a whisper, Lord. What I need is to see you pouring yourself out in the fullness of your glory and your strength and your power in such a way that you overwhelm me and overcome my life. I, God, need to lose control. And I need to give you control. I need to release myself to you. I need to, I need to ask you to release yourself and pour yourself out in such majesty and in such might that I can't deny the fullness of your presence and I can't resist the work of your hand in my life. Why are we here today? 
that we have a desire in our hearts to see God actively working within us, that we have a longing in our soul. If we do, I want you to know that you can try everything this world offers and you'll never see that longing satisfied. You'll never see that emptiness filled. See, if, if we're ever going to come to the place where we're going to experience God at the level that He wants us to experience Him and that we can experience Him, then it's going to require from us brutal honesty with ourselves and with God. Lord, this is who I am. I'm empty. I'm hurting. I need you. I'm going to tell you, I've found myself many times in my life where I think I can carry the whole load by myself. I think I've got broad shoulders. I've got broad spiritual shoulders. The Lord has, has given me all this wonderful opportunity and these wonderful assignments, and He's given me a, a wonderful church to pastor, and, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And sometimes I just move Him out of the picture and think, I've got this. And inside I know I don't have this. And it's okay whenever we come to the, to the point of truth to say to God, Lord, I, I've, I've pushed you aside. What I need is not, not what I can do, but what I need is what you can do. I want to see your power. I want to see your glory. I want to see you in your fullness. And so like David, like David, as he, as he speaks about the loving kindness of God being better than life, he says this, I'll bless you while I live and I'll lift up my hands in your name. What the picture here is, is very simply this. It's a picture of a helpless child reaching up toward a strong adult who has the ability to lift that child up, to hold them, to fill their empty hands with whatever it is that their need is for the moment, and, and to gift them with what it takes to, to, to bring joy into their lives. You know, it's not a bad thing to recognize that we have a loving Heavenly Father whose loving kindness is better than life, better than this life. And it's not a wrong thing for us to say, Lord, my hands are empty. My, my soul is thirsty. My flesh longs for you. I can't fill myself up, but you can. I can't do anything to, to drag myself out of this, this place, this this distant land that I find myself in, this destitute existence, but you can. And I don't know what it is that makes us, makes you seem distant from God. It may be a season of suffering that you've been through. We all suffer. We all go through it. We all wade through it with ourselves and with people that we love. It could be that we've decided for some reason, some illogical reason on an alternate source of satisfaction for a season. We believe that something can satisfy us that's not God. It could be that we just get stuck in these spiritual routines until all of this becomes mechanical. It could be that there's just a, a sadness about the circumstances of our lives that continues to weigh in on us and, and we can't change the past the water doesn't flow back up the creek, but I want to tell you something. As it continues to run down the creek, it can be pure. It can be clear. We all face struggles. We all have different times in our lives that kind of wreck us. The day was September the 13th in 2009. And 
We were at church on that day. Uh, our church is fortunate, very fortunate, to have a, a, a television ministry. And uh, so everybody always knows where I am on Sunday mornings. Everybody in the whole county and beyond. We, we cover about 13 or 14, 15 counties. So everybody knows where we are. Well, some folks decided on that day to take advantage of that. And whenever we were at church, they decided to visit our home. And they came to our home while we were at church, and we had had some guest speakers that day, took them out to lunch. And whenever we got through, it was kind of late in the afternoon, and I, I pull up in the driveway, and I looked, and the, the, I went in the, the back door into our den, and I noticed that some things looked like they were in a little bit of disarray, and I couldn't understand it. Uh, I knew that my sons had come to church after I did, and I thought, well, maybe they were looking for something and couldn't find it because some doors were open. I went into the next area, and there was a little hall that comes in off of a patio, and I saw the door open, and I saw that it had been kicked in. And we'd had some visitors into our home who decided that, they, that our things belonged to them. And I went through our home, and the whole thing was ransacked. It was torn to pieces. Uh, they stole all of my, 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 my wife's father. He was a jeweler for years. He worked in a jewelry store, and then he owned one for years, a little mom-and-pop store up in Paris, Texas. And so every gift that he had ever given his wife was jewelry. I mean, his, my, my wife, his daughter, was jewelry. Now, you think about that just for a minute, guys. Okay, if, if, you're, if you're married to a girl whose dad is a jeweler, what do you give her? <laughs> what do you give her? You, she's always getting jewelry from him, and I can't match the price. What do you give her? Anyway, well, he, she had a bunch, and they took all of that. They took some guns. They took some knives. They took all of the boys' electronic game stuff, every TV, everything they could get their hands on, about $40,000 worth of stuff. And I want to tell you something. Whenever, whenever I walked into that room, I had so many different emotions. One was shock. I was thinking, who would do something like this? One was a sense of violation. We had been violated. One was a sense of fearfulness. Every emotion you can think of, then anger, boy, anger just came in, and I thought, if I could see them, and when I did, when I did, this guy was about six, seven, I said, I'm glad I didn't see him. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you that, that what happened that, that day becomes for me an illustration of the kinds of things that can happen in our spiritual journey, that, that things can come in and just wreck our lives and, and violate the purity of our spiritual relationship with God or even cause us anger toward God. Who knows? All kinds of different things happen in our lives, and they, they bring out of us all kinds of emotions that sometimes cause us to draw distant from Him. But the key is not to choose to stay there. The key is to believe that God is good no matter what this life hurls at you, no matter what this life looks like. God is good, and His goodness endures forever. God loves us with an everlasting love. And I want to tell you something, in all the years of my journey, and they're becoming many, I have found myself at times whenever I've failed God miserably. As a pastor, I've failed God miserably. As a believer, as a, as a, as a, as a Christian, I've failed God miserably. And, and don't look at me like that because you have too. We all do. But I want to tell you something, in the midst of all of that, God has never failed me. He has always been faithful. And He's faithful today. I hope that if you're here and your life is in some sort of a spiritual funk, that this will be a place of beginning again for you. A place where you can come back to God and say, Lord, I've heard your voice today. I've heard you speaking to me on the inner man. I've heard you drawing me to yourself. And I want renewal. I want refreshing. I want a visit from you today in my life. If so, 
This is a time to do business with God. It's a time to do business with God. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we're going to have a time of opportunity for you to respond to whatever God's saying to you. Now, this is very important. If you're here this morning, and, and you, you may very well be someone who's in this room who has never committed your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to tell you that there's no step that you can take to draw close to God until you take that step. That is a first step into understanding who God is and how much He loves you and what He's done for you. And if you've not trusted Him, today I invite you to say yes to Jesus. I invite you to come and take your pastor by the hand and say, I, I want to know Jesus. I want to know Him in my heart. I want to know Him in my life. Maybe you're here and, and you've drifted and you know that. There's a time that you need to just take and get right and get where you need to be with God again. I know your pastor will be happy to pray for, for you and with you. I know that there are places up here that you can come and bow. You can get one-on-one -on -one with God and you can pour your heart out to Him. This is just a time to be open and honest, transparent, and responsive to God. So I'm going to pray for us. And after I do, we're going to sing together. And then that will be an opportunity for you to respond. So let's pray together. Father God, we just are so thankful to you that a man like David can be before us as an example of what can happen in our lives, and both in, in, in a way of, of becoming distant from you, but also in a way of being drawn back. And today I pray that if there's anyone here whose soul is thirsty, whose flesh is longing for you, that right now they would look to you and say, Oh God, oh God, you are my God. Right now, first, before I take another step, I'm seeking you. I'm coming to you. In Jesus' name.